0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. You are listening to a section of the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project, in which a number of LibriVox volunteers write and record a whole novel together, in serial form, during November 2006. The project is based on the idea started by the National Novel Writing Month, Chapter 2 Written and Read by Anita Roy Dobbs. Boston, November 3, 2006. It poured. Rivulets tugged at funeral ribbons until the bows were undone. I remember wondering whether the grave would overflow when the casket was lowered. Surely it was too heavy to float. I might suggest reeds at the corners to channel the water out. It fit, didn't it? Hadn't Uncle Geoffrey written an academic paper on papyrus? I mean, about papyrus. Papyrus isn't hollow, is it? But papyrus grows in water, and reeds grow in water. The rivulets ran to ponds. Reeds sprouted up among the mourners. Those would do. I looked into the faces. The dearly beloved... No, no. What do they say at funerals? Suddenly my wedding veil slipped, streaming into my eyes. I couldn't see through the black lace, but the bouquet, the wreath, was so heavy with water that if I let go with one hand to push the veil back, I shifted it to my left hip, freeing my right hand almost in time to lift the veil before Natalie pulled the whole thing off, releasing every pin in my hair. The waterlogged bouquet wreath was now Natalie's sopping wet diaper. Stephen saw her slipping and reached for her. I glimpsed him, tucking her into the new crib we were going to order. Bedtime. I turned back, just as Trevor handed me his umbrella so that he could take the suitcase someone was holding out to him, the pilot, who asked, Where is your up? Was he asking me, or Trevor? The umbrella closed as I took it, and the rain stopped. A shaft of sunlight fell on the pilot's hat, spotlighting an emblem. Thunderbird wings on a mint-green globe, and I filled with envy. Do you have another pair of wings? I tried to ask him, but my voice was too faint. He didn't hear. I reached for the wings, but the umbrella hooked my wrist, and I couldn't lift my hand to the Thunderbird. Thunder rolled, and a voice rumbled. As you might... Turning from Trevor and the pilot, I saw a final wreath tossed onto the fresh mound. The reeds were swaying and the ponds were rippling and sinking into the earth. Already, no, heaped flowers trembled and slid as the dearly gathered turned for home, leaving me alone at the booming graveside. I am dead. Uncle Jeffrey clutched my shoulders, pressing me into the giving earth. I am dead. I could feel his words vibrating the earth, choking in my throat. No, I thought, shutting my eyes to banish the shadow. Wait at least until... Tracy? I struggled to open my eyes to the new voice. Natalie grows up tracy stephen's voice pulled me from the earth stephen his eyes alarmed me what is it i managed to whisper what about natalie till she grows up oh stephen i reached for him but my shoulders were pinned my uncle held me still terror-stricken i twisted to see how deep i would go and to see the hands that pulled me under mounds of... I was confused by the bedclothes, but I recognized Stephen's hands, clear though dim in the gray of morning that slipped past our heavy curtains. He pulled me up and let me cling for a minute before he loosened my grip. "'What were you dreaming?' "'You just pulled me out of an early...' The expression on his face made the words stick in my throat. "'Grave.' A what?' "'You look so grave. "'You pulled me out of an early morning nightmare. "'Did I wake you up? I'm sorry.' "'A low whistle from the tea kettle sent Stephen leaping from the bed and out the door. "'In a minute he returned with two cups. "'Better? Sorry about that. I had to stop that whistle before the kids. "'You're a wizard of speed and time,' I crooned gratefully. "'He smiled, but only a little.' I was going to make our tea and I came in for your cup. Yeah, I I know, draining board. Anyway, I tried not to wake you, but your eyes were open when I came in. Maybe the light disturbed you. I asked you where your cup was, and you said something about wings and looked away. I said that you might be dreaming, but I was only joking, until I heard what you were saying, or trying to say. It didn't sound like a good dream, so I kind of shook you to wake you up but it only made you close your eyes. It was so strange. I could still picture all of it vividly. A big chunk of my mind had the dream rolling on replay. You said you were dead and then you said Natalie has to grow up. No that was Uncle Jeffrey. He said I am dead. I dreamt I was at the funeral. I told you that you should go. I glared at him. I don't mean should go, I mean could go. But my glare shut that off. Dazed as I was, no, I told you so, was going to slip past my sentinels. Stephen had managed to stay this side of meddling about my decision to miss the funeral. Perspective is my mantra. We have an infant and a four-year-old. We have a finite travel budget. And for all my dutiful esteem of my distant Uncle Jeffrey, that's just what he was to me. Distant far off. We were not close. I could live with myself if I missed the funeral, and Stephen's concern for my, what, moral fiber, spiritual well-being, his concern was misplaced. We sipped our tea in silence for a few minutes, and then put down our cups to take advantage of the fact that, astonishingly, both of the children were still asleep. Lord, I love these lullaby rains. Images from the dream haunted me through the morning. My first realization was that the dream hadn't been scary until Stephen had started shaking me. Up to that point it had been just bizarre, and even fun. It put the fun in funeral. (laughs) Um, I needed to get out more. Once it was clear to me that the terror was not some supernatural warning about imminent danger to me or my family just a simple, reasonable response to being shaken in my sleep, I was over that bit. I was pretty sure I was over that bit. But other bits buzzed like fat flies begging me to swat them. Where did that idea come from about an academic paper on, I mean, about papyrus? Okay, stupid question. I mean, if I let the bouquet that became Natalie pass without a blink, why get stuck on papyrus? The whole morning long, whenever my mind could wander, it wondered about one or another of the dream elements, puzzling with the eagerness of an underfed mystery fan. Through the feedings and the readings and the errands and the caring, little revelation followed after little revelation, and then I was left with a handful that refused resolution, but persisted in whining for attention. Tough. If the pests couldn't make do with my spare moments— They'd have to wait till the children napped. Finally, my four-year-old gave the signal. Teen time, Mama. His intonation is just like Stephen's. Tea time, honey. Michael has an uncanny sense for when Natalie needs her rest. So I fetched Natalie's bottled water, Michael's joke, not mine, and Michael's tippy-cup juice, and I switched on the story-sayer. Again, Michael's term. Michael and I have always enjoyed stories together, from our earliest pantomimes to our latest impromptu musicals. He's a great stand-up lyricist, and I'm improving. Give me time. In addition to our own masterpieces, we're voracious fans of free resources from the library to the internet. We're fondest of audiobooks which eventually meant that I discovered the expanding LibriVox catalogue of absolutely free audio files. Michael's favorite for the past month, The Velveteen Rabbit, and now it was Teen Time. Which reading today, children? We had downloaded the solo and the duet versions from LibriVox. Michael called for the duet, the usual choice. We all adored the young girl's voice for the rabbit. Whenever Michael called for the solo—that reader has a particularly soothing voice—it was often my first cue that Natalie's high energy was about to turn fussy and that I should check her temperature, or Michael's. For nap time they always wanted the story-sayer reading, and in the second week Michael held the book himself and pointed the pictures out to Natalie. After he'd heard the story dozens of times, he and Natalie initiated their own story tradition. Every few days or so, at a non-nap time, Michael would pull the book from its shelf, and Natalie would curl up beside him on the couch or on the nap mattress and suck her thumb, and he would turn the pages to her favorite illustrations and quote snippets of narration that went with them. From memory, Michael speaks Natalie's by the way. If she lifts her hand towards him, he repeats the passage. Six times appears to be his limit, not hers. If she turns away for an instant, he moves to the next favorite illustration. The first time I saw this happen, I sat as still as I possibly could, not even moving to wipe my tears until Michael sprang up, refreshed, and wandered to new play. Stephen understood. He's so beautiful. But try explaining such a treasured moment to your single brother. Mr. T for Teasers was merciless, just because I cried a little over the phone when I was telling him about it. I am not an over-sentimental crybaby. I was just exhausted from Natalie's ear infection the night before.' Finally, in self-defense, I changed the subject, asking the brat why he hadn't posted a new chapter of Adam Bede for the past six weeks. That hit a nerve, apparently, because he finished the last 200 pages by the end of that month. Tea for time on his hands can do that. Wish I could. Michael and I had recorded one Aesop's fable together. He was the voice of the baby elephant. And we had great, grandiose plans for more projects. But one day chased the next away before we could catch our breath, and the projects were still plans. That's all I ever have time for, spinning great plans. Current favorite. Michael and I, and Natalie soon, make illustrations of his favorite Aesop's fables. Upload the pictures into the public domain so that folks just like Michael can share pictures with folks just like Natalie while listening to their favorite fables. They're doing it with those gorgeous CD covers. Why not these... Select your own storybooks for fables. Natural outcome? World becomes inspired, and suddenly Michael can select from a hundred public domain illustrations. Soon, everyone in the world illustrates or reads or listens or looks. Peace prevails. Michael and I accept the Nobel on his 14th birthday. That's enough time, isn't it? I'd been drifting off. The children were in their angel repose. Though I've tried a hundred times, I've only succeeded twice in nearly capturing their sleeping beauty in sketches. The urge to pull out the sketch pads came over me, but I resisted it for the thousandth time. Something else was on my mind. A quiet puzzle spoke up for the first time. Sideswiped me as I was admiring Michael's profile. Why did Uncle Jeffrey want Trevor to be like our Grandpa Trevor? I'd grown up knowing that he wanted it, and I'd accepted it the way kids accept most things. It's the way things are. But giving it one moment of adult scrutiny, I realized it was about as bizarre as a bouquet turning into Natalie. No, more bizarre. If the bouquet symbolized marrying Stephen, then Natalie came out of our marriage, so I was comfortable with the dream logic. It wouldn't puzzle me if he wanted Trevor to be like his own father, our dad's father, G.T. Ames, but Grandpa Trevor was my mom's father, Trevor Mrs. That was strange, right? I should get Stephen's opinion. I hadn't discussed any of the latest news with Stephen yet, none of the details from my conversation with Trevor last night, including the inheritance and Uncle Jeffrey's long fixation on Grandpa Trevor. I vowed to get Stephen's opinion on everything. Good. I could file this one away and tackle it later. I took inventory of the other nagging discoveries or puzzles stirred up in the dream. First, I realized that this uncle, whose thrall had evaporated for me in my adolescence, was now possibly even more enthralling and mysterious than when Trevor and I were kids, spinning tall tales about him. Who was he? Did I know a single practical thing about him? I knew a few useless things, his long coats, his black cars, his rumbling voice, and unexplained fixation on travel. Wouldn't it be wild if he had written about Papyrus? Or, hey, on papyrus. Why not? Okay. Overnight fascination with mysterious uncle. Re-fascination. Check. Puzzle or discovery? Number two. Something felt wrong. Something in my dream-prodded mind was stuck on my uncle's letter. Specifically, stuck on that phrase, I am dead. I'd laughed when T. read it. Had I misunderstood him? I must have. No one writes a letter, Dear Trevor, I am dead, right? Unless they're hiding some meaning in it. You might write, I'm as good as dead, if you know someone's going to kill you. Hmm. If you know you're dying, you say, I am dying, or, or... They could be hiding some meaning by it, like a magic trick. Watch this hand, watch this hand, don't watch that hand. I am dead. Oh, why would you think I'm alive? Nope, nope, I am dead. Okay, enough. I was beginning to tire of my spin-out speculation on a phrase that my reasonable streak said was simply my own misunderstanding. I would ask Trevor to read it again and third fourth and fifth if not more I was royally ticked off that there hadn't been two sets of wings in the inheritance it surprised me how ticked off I was it wasn't mean-spirited ticked off I was cosmically ticked off wail pointlessly to the universe ticked off If there had to be only one set of wings, how fiercely unfair was it that Mr. Trevor Homebody Ames would get wings instead of me? My wanderlust had been legendary, hadn't it? Till motherhood anchored me, and lately that wanderlust had been less and less mollified by the virtual travel of my Internet activities. Great. Thanks for all the revelations, Dream. Been nice chatting with you." In a mild funk, I flipped open the laptop and slipped into the forums. I was impatient for the reluctant dragon. Whoa! I was surprised to discover it had been completed two weeks earlier. My elation at being able to download it was nearly offset by my dismay over the speed of time racing through my fingers. Elation began to win as I anticipated Michael's enjoyment. When he woke from his nap in about forty minutes, maybe we'd play with blocks and listen to it, while Natalie finished her nap. Blocks, or maybe it was time to start a series of dragon drawings. Fifty-six minutes long. I was so curious to see what he'd think. He wouldn't understand everything, but he'd love it, I was sure. Natalie would never settle for the book's little line drawings. We'd have to illustrate it for her. But wait, dragons for an infant? I should go post again in the chorus of folks chanting for more recordings of public domain picture books. After twenty two short minutes of reading and posting on the forum, and especially after listening to the homey, hilarious community podcast my funk was forgotten. Typically, I would now bustle about quietly in the last half of Michael's nap, but today I was uncharacteristically sedentary. Aftermath of the lullaby rains? Anyway, I continued wandering through the forums till I laughed at one of Trevor's posts and decided to check out the Trevor Trail. What had the boy been up to recently at LibriVox? I clicked his profile button and then the View All Posts by T link. Good heavens! His first post after the funeral had been at 4.30 p.m. his time, and his last that night was 11.20. Twenty-nine posts, seven hours online. The longest interval between posts was 40 minutes. Ah, that's when we'd been talking. Didn't he even eat dinner? and he was back in the forums at seven the next morning. Despite my grandiose ideas, my time on the forums was finite. Trevor's was infinite. T had joined the forums two months after I told him about LibriVox, and when he'd been there two months to my six months, he'd written nearly 1,000 posts to my 300. He wrote 10 posts to my one and that was after a slow start it had taken at least two weeks for addiction to set in. My twin, the audiobook addict. No, not audiobooks exactly. They were at the heart of everything there, but it was the assortment of people drawn to those books that had addicted him. If it were audiobook addiction, he'd spend those seven-hour stints making his recordings instead of upping his post count. Or he'd record an hour or two a night, and lead a normal life, or he'd travel the world with his blessed free airfare. When he hit 1,500 posts the next month they rushed to make him a moderator. They asked us both on the same day, but I'm sure that asking me was some kind of, you know, protocol of politeness, special consideration for T's twin. It was sweet. Of course I said no, of course he said yes. We made the right choices. If he would stop taunting me with talk about the bat cave where the M.C.s, the medical ordinators, oversee and overhaul it all, I could live with my right decision. What was up with me? I wondered. Where's my up? I said aloud, and Michael stirred. I love Stephen and Michael and Natalie more than I know how, and I would never trade places with Trevor. God, no. I guess I just wish I could have both lives. Okay, what has the tea for twin been up to? Yes, I would definitely call him that evening when the children were asleep. I had questions for the boy. I looked at the list of his morning posts. A new title caught my eye. The mystery... I'll have to investigate that. End of chapter 2 Recorded on November 3rd, 2006